Sometimes I contemplate while we're sitting there praying and thinking about communion, what would it be like to do the first communion in heaven? What would that be like? You know, we'll be in heaven, we'll be there with Jesus Christ, you'll see his hands, you'll see his side, you'll, you'll, you'll be there in the presence of the Lord. Just cool, totally cool to think about, to imagine what that's going to be like in, in our minds. I, need, I want you to take your Bible this morning, go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to talk about the idea of fear today. Um, <laughs> have any of you ever heard anything about fear lately? <laughs> seen anything about fear? Have you seen anybody trying to use fear tactics on anyone? Um, <laughs> you know, it seems like our world is fixated on fear. Um, as, as like, that's the only motivating factor that matters in anybody's life is, is fear. Uh, I remember a famous quote, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, right? Um, <laughs> all of us have experienced fear, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to develop what fear is, what fear isn't, but there are different types of fear. And not all fear is bad. Not all fear is good. Um, we got to think about the different types of fear that's even in our lives and know the differences between them. And um, this morning, as we look into this scripture, um, I don't think it's a secret. If anybody knows me, everybody knows I have one major fear, right? If you know anything about me, I am totally scared to death of heights. However, I'm a pilot <laughs> and I fly airplanes and that doesn't bother me because I'm in a structure designed to fly, right? So when I sit there, it's no different than sitting in your car. There's a panel, there's a dashboard, there's doors, there's wings, there's, there's a facade around you and you get fixated on fly, trying to stay alive that, that you focus on flying the airplane and you don't have time to look at the fact that you're thousands of feet off the ground. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me in that view. It's like driving in the country in the middle of uh, Nebraska after they harvested, and it's just flat, nothing, right? And in the air, that's what it looks like. But man, you put me on the ladder three and a half feet off the floor. Um, a foot and a half. Foot and a half off the floor. <laughs> that thing is shaking. My knees are buckling. My, I start sweating. I am freaked out by six inches. And it's not the fall I'm afraid of. It's the sudden stop at the end that I don't want to endure. I don't want to experience it. I, so there is a healthy fear in my life of self-preservation to where I don't get on ladders. And if I do get on a ladder, I get on it, I get off it, and it's over. And we don't talk about it. We don't think about it. It's just done. I have a fear of heights, but I'm not afraid to be in the air. That's kind of weird. Because I have faith in an airplane that it can do what it's designed to do. I don't have faith in ladders that collapse, fall, tilt, kick out, whatever happens to ladders that make you fall. 
Uh, I don't know where Owen is, but he, he knows what I'm talking about. He fell off a ladder in a tree. Um, there's a healthy fear. There he is. There's a healthy fear uh, that comes from experience. However, fear is also something the Bible has an awful lot to say about. Matter of fact, in Psalm 111 today, how many of you caught the fact that the word fear was used at least twice in the narrative? Fear is all in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, it's found in in almost every book of the Bible. And the word fear not only is not just a command, but it also appears in one form or another in over 365 times from Genesis to Revelation. You know what that tells me? For every day you got, there's a fear to not. See, it even rhymes. Man, it took me a long time to think of that one. You guys didn't even laugh. Fear appears in one form or another 365 times in the Word of God. Specifically given to dozens of different individuals or groups of people, variety of circumstances, but it's always abundantly clear that God doesn't want His people to fear in the face of adversity or fear in the face of decision. Or to put it another way, we've been given a different fear not exhortation for every single day of the year. So the Bible has something to say about fear. And with such a clear daily prescription from the creator of the universe, why is it that so often even Christians respond how? In fear. It's almost like God knew you were going to struggle in this area. So he made sure there's an overabundance of ways to overcome it. Or scriptures that we can go to and be encouraged from it. So what can we do better about this? And is there a better way than running around, living in fear, fear of making a decision, fear of uh, offending somebody or something, or fear, 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 right? Fear-mongering. Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Because we're going to f- begin our Fear Not series here. It's going to be four or five weeks. I haven't decided yet. Um, with an exploration of Paul's advice to Timothy Here in this letter, he says this, For God gave us not, or gave us spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. If you want an outline for the message today, it's right there. Paul gives it to you. You have power, you have love, and you have self-control. That has been given to you by who? The Spirit of God. So what do unsaved people not have? No power, no love, and no self-control. Because these come to you how? By the Spirit of God. So those that have the Spirit have these traits. Those that don't have the Spirit don't have these traits. Now, fear can also be translated as the word cowardice. If you were to do a Greek word study or even a Hebrew word study on the words used for fear... You'll see, even in Webster's Dictionary, cowardice is an alternative definition for it. So God has not given us the spirit of cowardice, but of power or wisdom, power, love, and self-control. If fear doesn't come from God, then where would it come from? So there is good fear and there's bad fear. 
Proverbs 9, 10, it's on the screen here. It says this, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Hmm. So there's something to knowing God that God's going to illuminate for us if we know who he is and we're fearing him. Now the word fear here doesn't mean cowardice like Webster's would want you to think. We're not cowardice of the Lord. Doesn't really fit there. The cowardice of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there has to be a different definition that God is using for the word fear than that which is commonly accepted in the world today. You know, how many of you heard something about fearing COVID, fearing death, fearing whatever, the government or whatever you want to, there's a lot of fear mongering going on today. You know, when I was growing up, it was amazing how many things were going to kill me. If you do that, you're going to die. You know, if you ride in a station wagon backwards over a fuel tank and get rear-ended, you're going to die. I should get that bumper sticker. I survived the station wagon third seat. <laughs> I remember my grandfather had an old woody station wagon, Ford, and uh, we'd sit in the back of that and try to get everybody to honk their horns at our grandpa, and they would honk their horns, and he'd be so livid. I ain't even doing anything. Why are they honking? We're back there. Come on. What else are you going to do when you're riding backwards? You get to see where you've been, not where you're going. There was, a, there was a lack of fear because we didn't know. Well, what were we sitting on top of? The fuel tank. If you got rear-ended, what are the chances of it blowing up? Not as good as Hollywood, but there, there's a chance. So were we taking risks? Sure. Did we live by fear? No, we didn't. Um, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So one important difference to recognize is there is both a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear that's taught in the Bible. In your life, there is healthy fear and there's unhealthy fear. For some of you, you think that my foolishness and being afraid of heights and ladders is, is something that is unhealthy. But to me, I feel very healthy because I don't fall that way. And I know my risk of falling if I never get on a ladder is zero unless I trip myself. I mean, I can slip on ice or something, but that's, you know, I'm okay with that. I can handle the five, five feet, eight inch fall that's gonna happen there. I don't enjoy the extra height that's gonna help accelerate to the sudden stop. So that's a healthy fear for me, but you might say, that's unhealthy, Pastor Joe. People go up and, and they climb radio towers and it's not a big deal for them. And I, I watched a video the other day and I got vertigo watching them climb the tower. My heart started racing. We, uh, we went to Chicago a long time ago and we were in the Willis Tower. Some of you know it as the Sears Tower. And I'm in the elevator and we're going up and it's rattling. I'm like, okay, this is, I, I can do this. We can do this. I remember the doors opened and my whole world started spinning. I could see the skyline from the building and it made, it made all the gyros in my head go whacked out. And, I didn't want, and then my wife goes out on that little glass thing that goes like outside the building. No. <laughs> nope. Didn't do it. Didn't act like I was doing it. I stood against the wall the entire time. I hate heights. A couple years ago, we went to this mine, the Sudan mine. Anybody been there? I'm scared to go under too. 
that elevator ride down that rickety thing, shaking and banging in the dark and lights flashing by and there's no reason to be up high unless you're flying. I have a healthy fear of heights. All right. It's unhealthy in some ways, but it's healthy in others. And I'm sharing this to make fun of myself in one way, but another way, you know what? Every one of you have a fear too. Every one of us are afraid of something, somewhere, somehow that keeps you honest, that keeps you humble, that, that maybe you announce to everybody, maybe you don't announce to everybody. Mine's obvious because there's times around here we need to do things on ladders and they don't get done. Now you know why. If you're waiting on me, it's not going to happen. Some of you are like, now I need to look around. What's not done? Um, just the flashing on the back of the church. That's the only one right now. Uh, and a light in the youth room, but we got to fix that. We got to fix for that. So, uh, but there's healthy and unhealthy fear. So understanding the difference honestly can save your life. So let's look at healthy fear first. Healthy fear can literally save our lives. Let's pretend for a moment that you're hiking in the woods. You stumble, you get up, and as you stand up, mama bear is standing right in front of you. Next to mama bear are three cubs. You have two choices. Do you think the best course of action in this situation is to share a handful of go-to Bible verses? I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. I will not fear what man can do to me. Um, Or do you think a better choice would be to slowly walk away, back away from the situation, and then run like a cheetah across the African plains? Now, I know some of you out there are Bible scholars and you think that the Bible verses there are probably going to come in really handy. Unfortunately, the bear doesn't know English. She knows one thing, defend my cubs. And you're, you're threatening that. Now, is there a healthy or unhealthy fear there? There's a healthy fear. Why? What can mama bear do? She can do some serious damage. Um... I, I don't even know if the running part would help because she's probably faster. But a healthy fear can heighten and sharpen your senses in which many situations, it becomes a great benefit. When I do have to get on a ladder, what are the odds I make sure it's locked? I make sure it's not going to twist or, or move or... I, I check all that stuff out and then I check it again and then I check it again. Then I go have lunch and come back and check it again. And then I spend two seconds on it. There is ample evidence that a person's internal fight or flight mechanism is simply a natural response to situations that we all find ourselves in. Like running into a mama bear with three cubs, getting into a car accident, or having a tornado coming straight at your house gives you a healthy fear. There's a preservation that kicks in. Whether we call it fear, maybe we just call it common sense, which is kind of lacking in our world today. There's a healthy fear in that, which can be beneficial. I mentioned my healthy fear is heights of ladders. If I don't climb a ladder, I don't fall off a ladder. If I don't get high on objects near ledges, I can't fall off ledges. So for me, there is security, there's confidence in knowing when I'm away from those things that I don't have to fear them. But when I do come around them, the preservation kicks in, the fear kicks in. A healthy fear of the Lord is not only beneficial for us, but it is biblical. Check out that Proverbs chapter one and verse seven. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, 
but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The Hebrew word here literally means to stand in awe or reverence of. When we fear God, we stand in awe or reverence. It doesn't mean cowardice. You know, I always, as a kid, I grew up thinking that God is this like big being in outer space somewhere and he's always waiting for us to mess up. And when we mess up, he's got this celestial club in his hand. And as soon as we mess up, it's like God gets a sick, sadistic satisfaction. You know, whom the Lord loves, he, right? Whack-a-mole! Remember that game at Chuck E. Cheese? Whack-a-mole game, the, maybe they have whack-a-gopher up here, I don't know. But there's like nine holes and little gophers or little mole. The, these little guys would pop their heads up and you got this club and you're supposed to beat them over the head as they pop up. Today they don't have that game because it's like PETA got rid of it. It's probably a culturally un, uncouth now. But whack-a-mole was like a game we played at Chuck E. Cheese all the time. And it gave the most tickets is why we like playing it. And I had a vision that, that in my mind, that's what God was like. That's how messed up my childhood was. I'm always running around fearing God. But that's not what the word fear God means at all. It actually has the idea of understanding he's more powerful and I stand in awe of him. I worship him. You know what worship means, right? To ascribe worth to something. So he is worthy of our worship. Worship. So this is to stand in awe or reverence, to understand that he is in a position that is higher than us. If we were to be in a king's court and you were to walk into a king's palace, you would stand in awe of the king. You would be under his authority. You would be under his jurisdiction, if you will. The entire cosmos, the entire world sits under the kingship of Jesus Christ. This is why the entire world worships Christ. This is why if humans didn't cry out, the rocks would. Because he created, he's worthy to be ascribed all and ownership of everything uniquely created by him. Listen to what Psalm chapter five and verse seven says. It says, but through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of who? In the fear of you. I'll bow down in your temple in awe of who you are. Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you? We are to stand in awe of who he is. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He is worthy. The word bow down here literally means to reverence. I will reverence towards your holy temple and stand in fear of you. In all of you, in reverence of you. Listen to Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Check this out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There is a reverence. When we reverence the Lord, we begin to learn who he is and what he's like. And as we do that, the knowledge of the Holy One gives us insight into what God does and why he does it which is really what the Christian walk is all about. It's learning who God is and what he's like. David had a healthy fear of the Lord throughout his life. 
Solomon knew the fear of the Lord was the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom. Divine reverence brings understanding, a godly understanding of who God is and what he's like. It's an amazing gift that God has given to us. Interesting enough, godly fear and reverence are fundamentally about acknowledging the proper place of the Lord as divine creator and sustainer of life in this world. You know, when you really push away all the other stuff, the reason we stand in awe of, who, uh, of God is because of what he's done. The reason we stand in awe of Jesus Christ is because of what he's done for us. But he didn't do it just for you. He did it for all people of all time in every place. So who's worthy of the gospel? All people, all time in every place. So who did Jesus die for? All people in all time in every place. And what do they have to do to receive his love, his grace, and his mercy? They have to be in awe of who he is. They have to fear him. They have to have understanding and knowledge of who he is and what he's done. And when they do that, they subject themselves. They place themselves under the authority of God. We call that, they get saved. They confess, they repent of them ruling and reigning their own life. And they place themselves under the submission and the authority of Jesus Christ. And he becomes their God. And he becomes their king. And he becomes their ruler. If you remember in the Old Testament, that's exactly what God wanted to do for Israel. He said, I want to be your king. And they said, we don't want you to be our king. We want a king like all the other nations have. And you know what they did not have for God? They didn't have awe and they didn't have reverence. They weren't fearing him. So instead they go and do their own thing and then it doesn't work out. And they get mad at who? They get mad at God. And God said, I explicitly told you what I wanted for you but you rejected it. But later on, Israel decides what? We want God back and who comes back to save them? And over and over, we see that cycle in the Old Testament where God does something for man. Man doesn't really appreciate it, doesn't stand in awe of who God is, instead wants to do their own thing, their own way and their own timing. And God ends up having to take them full circle whether it be the Assyrian captivity, whether it be the Babylonian captivity, whether it be the Philistines or the Jebusites, the, Sad, uh, the termites, whoever the ites were, right? All the Amalekites, the Amorites, all these enemies of Israel at one time or another are there, why? Because Israel didn't have all of who God was and he would use the enemies of Israel to fix them, to correct them. In the New Testament, we simply read the words that I just quoted just a minute ago from Hebrews. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. When we stand in awe of who God is, he rewards us. When we do it our own way and we don't live in fear of him or in awe of him or in steadfastness in him, then he corrects us. So as we move now to discuss unhealthy fear, make note that its proper place is in the hands of the same almighty God who's given us strength through his son to be free from sin and unrighteousness. So now as we get into unhealthy fear, the same God that gave us good fear also gave us the ability to be subject to bad fear. And he did that through our free will, right? He did that by giving us a free will. Unhealthy fear will paralyze and stagnate a person and it's not God's will for you to live this way. 
Paul mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and of self-control. So God wants us to grow in relationship with him, in a relationship with the local church, in a relationship with other believers, and ultimately in faith, and we call that process what? Sanctification. The process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. More what God wants us to be in the way that he wants us to be it through his word. Sanctification is described frequently throughout the New Testament. Um, in the first letter to the church of Thessalonica, Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Chapter 4 and verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What is God's will? That you be sanctified. What's one illustration of sanctification? Well, sexual immorality. Don't do it. Um, in a letter to Jerusalem, James, in his writing, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God wants us to persevere, to finish the race, so that we will be mature, complete, lacking nothing. This is a process that can be costly. This is a process that has many potential problems and obstacles that could incite fear in our lives. The early, members faced all, early church members faced all kinds of fear, ridicule, persecution, sometimes death. Nowadays, I can't say that we fear death in our country, but the potential is there to experience ridicule, bullying, being kicked out of your family or being shunned by your family because of your faith in Christ. And not to mention that allegiance with Jesus makes you an enemy of who? The world. An allegiance with Christ makes you enemies with the world. And there are powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places that are opposed to faith today. Do you think that's true? It's in the face of both the early believers and in our time as well. But both earthly and eternal enemies that are the Lord's would, the Lord reminds us to not fear them, to, to not, not worry about them. Listen to Matthew 5, verse 11. Check this out. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now that sounds encouraging, doesn't it? Those are good words to go home with. Happy am I when everybody hates me. When I'm being persecuted, I'm being ridiculed, I'm being, by the way, this is right out of the Sermon on the Mount. These are Jesus' words. Why would this be true? Because you're part of God's family. You see, the earthly, the earthly people are not going to understand spiritual things. The Bible is crystal clear on this. Crystal clear. So if we're going around trying to get the world to give us affirmation that living for Christ is good, when's that going to happen? When is the world ever going to affirm? When are unbelievers ever going to affirm to you that your evangelism and discipleship efforts are good? <laughs> it's never going to happen in this lifetime. So why is it that many believers are here? Well, I'll, I'll evangelize if the world wants it. But if they don't want it, I'm not going to do it. 
who do we fear? This is what it comes down to. Who do we fear? Who do we stand in awe of, the world or God? Who do, who do we fear more, what people think or what God thinks? What motivates us more, what the world says or what God says? And see, this is where fear plays the part because we can be afraid of the world, but I can fear God more. And if I fear God more, if I give him reverence and all and position and power and love and, and I give him control of my life, what are the odds I'm gonna do what he wants me to do? But if I'm in fear of the world more than I fear and, and, and have reverence for God, if I give more to the world, what are the limitations in my life spiritually gonna be? I'm not gonna share the gospel. I'm not gonna stand up for what I believe. I'm gonna to try to be a chameleon and just blend in with everybody else. And if somebody were to ask me what I believed, then what? Got this one. And you know what? We think we got it. And, and it's like, that's not what God wants. God wants us to have an awe and fear of him. And he says, not only am I commanding you to do this, but I've equipped you already as well. And check out the equipping here real quick. By the way, before we look at that, fear can rob you of joy, paralyze you from moving forward for all that God has called you to do. Instead of a spirit of fear, you have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So let's look into this and let's see what the Bible says when it comes down to these three things. Let's take number one first, right? Power. You have been given all dunamis. I love that Greek word. Dunamis, yeah, exactly where it comes from. The root word of dunamis is dino. Dynamis. Boom. Explosive power. You don't just have power. You don't have like, you don't have like coal burning fire power. You have nuclear power. All power has been given to who? Christ in heaven and in earth. And if he gives us his power, what power do you have? And by the way, if God used all his power today, what's he have tomorrow? All power. And if he uses all power tomorrow, what's he got the next day? So all power means all power is his. And he says, I have given you my power. Check out Acts 1.8. We read it all the time. But you will receive, boom. You have the right, the authority, the ability with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for me. How many have the Holy Spirit today? You got the power to be witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Sunday school, we talked about this. This is written to the Greeks uh, primarily. Luke is writing to the Greeks primarily. This is the second treatise that he writes to Theophilus. And it says right in there, O Theophilus, all power has been given to us. All power through the Holy Spirit. We got it. This kind of power leaves no room for fear or doubt. When a believer has the Holy Spirit working through them, there is nothing that cannot be accomplished in accordance to the will of God. By the way, not to mention the fact that Romans 8.11 says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who what? 
So if he can resurrect Jesus from the dead, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in your mortal body, which makes you a mortal, immortal person. So what do you have to worry about? What do you have to fear? Who's got it? God's got it. We have to trust God. If you're experiencing unhealthy fear that's hindering you from experience life in Christ that you are designed to have, then we need to check ourselves and remember that we've been given the spirit of power, death-defying, grave-robbing power of Jesus Christ and claim Romans 8, 11. But number two, love. Number two, love. I like that it's mentioned second in the narrative. Look at 1 John 4, 18. For there is no fear in what? So does your government love you when they're trying to make you live in fear? We're doing this for your safety. Are you? Biblically, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out what? Casts out all fear. For fear has nothing to do with what? Punishment. That's interesting. Why are we afraid of cops? Because I, <laughs> I was speeding. <laughs> That's why I'm afraid. And what do I fear more than the cop himself? The fine, the ticket, right? The consequences of it. But there is no fear, for fear has nothing to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. They haven't experienced, they haven't seen complete love. Now the love here is not emotional love. The love here is 1 Corinthians 13 love, agape. There is no fear in doing things for others in love. We don't have to fear that. You don't have to be afraid. Well, they might abuse it. Well, that's on them. Leave it to God. God will fix them. God knows how to take care of that. First John uses the same word that Paul used in, when he tells Timothy that he has a spirit of love. And this could be an entire message by itself. Believe you me, it could be. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. In marriage, there should be no fear because it's built on what? It's supposed to be built on love. If there is fear in a marriage, there's a problem in that marriage. That, that, there's something off. There's something not right in that. Perfect love drives out fear. When we walk in the spirit of love as Christ did, unhealthy fear drives away from us. You know why I get on letters every once in a while? Because I love my kids enough to hang Christmas lights. Do I enjoy it? No. Ask me, are my Christmas lights still up right now? Are they going to stay up until there is zero ice and snow on the ground? Yes. Because I'm going to mitigate all chances of falling. And I don't care how much you make fun of me because I have a healthy fear of that more than I fear your laughter. And I will tolerate your laughter all year long until the ice is gone. And then I'll do something about it. Think about this for a minute. Jesus walked to the cross in a spirit of love, and we can assume that he walked out of the grave in the same empowered love. His love never changed. Don't forget, this is the same spirit that's alive in us today, and next time we experience fear or any of its associates, like anxiety, worry, doubt, we need to check ourselves and make sure that we're walking in a spirit of love. 
This act of love toward, is one towards others and not ourself. This is not a self-loving love. What part of the cross did Jesus love? I mean, what, what part of the cross was for Jesus? Like, I really want this to be bad. I'm really looking forward to being separated from my father. I'm really looking forward to breaking out of the rock and showing myself. None of it was for him. All of it was for who? The father or us? Should I say the phrase? For the glory of God and the good of, there it is. Jesus demonstrates it. How about self-discipline? Let's talk about that quickly. How many of the rooms struggle with self-discipline? I have both hands up. <laughs> right? There are so many things I have set out to do and crash and burned. You know what? You're in good company. It takes a lot of discipline to recognize fear and to deal with it appropriately. You know? Self-discipline is hard. This is one of the hardest things because we know ourselves, don't we? We know we're capable of and we know where we like to quit. So what do we, what do we normally aim for? Where we can quit. That's good enough. That's uh, it's almost perfect. It's simply, simply easier for us to let go and shrug it off than it is to call it a fact in our life. The issue is, it's not a fact in the life of God, or, or it's not a fact in the view of what God intends for your life to be, but it's good enough for us. Paul wraps up his encouragement to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.7 by reminding him that he's been given the spirit of self-discipline along with the two other disciplines. Self-discipline is an imperative ingredient in the process of sanctification. How so? We need discipline to take place in the time. We need discipline to take the time necessary to accurately diagnose the fear that we are experiencing even more than the discipline that we deal with. Let me say it this way. It's not enough just to get what we want, but God always gives us what we need. See, we'll stop short, won't we? We know that for a fact. For all sin and come short of. You know what? If we wanted to achieve sinlessness, usually we'll settle for sinfulness, won't we? Well, Lord, I'm not as bad as. Not saying I'm sinless, I'm just saying I've sinned less than them. That's how we think. God doesn't think that way. God has designed us, He has ingrained in us, and He's made available for us. His spirit, his power, his love, his self-discipline. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we believe that? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether therefore I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do for the glory of God. Do we do that? You see... God knows our shortcomings. He knows our downfallings. He knows when we sit. He knows when we rise. He knows all these things. He also knows we're going to struggle with self-discipline. Did his disciples struggle with self-discipline? Yeah. Peter, tonight you'll deny me three times. Lord, I will never, except for the three times here in a couple moments. 
God knows already. He already knows our struggles. He already knows what we're going through. He's already given us the ability to recover from ourselves. So let's talk about application. Fear speaks to just how destructive, unhealthy fear can be in our lives, that we need power, we need love, and we need self-discipline to help us overcome it. Notice I said help us overcome it. Why? There are two phases. How perfect are you in Jesus Christ today? Absolutely perfect. You are without sin in Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you have messed up in the last 48 hours? Right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's real. We mess up. We fall short. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Our self-discipline lacks where God's discipline holds. That's the difference. Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet never what? Never sinned. He had self-control. We don't. We struggle in this area. So we need help to overcome it. We can't overcome it on our own. We can't have a, uh, I'm going to think positive thoughts and overcome this. It's not going to happen. I can have positive thoughts and still fall short of the glory of God. So how do we fix this? We need discipline to form new habits in identifying healthy fear from unhealthy fear. And we need abundant power and love in our responses. Thankfully, through Christ Jesus, we've been given the spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So let me give you a little challenge. Let's give you a challenge. This week, we'll call it the healthy or unhealthy fear challenge. As you go through your life this week, when you begin to feel fear, because it's going to happen this week, all of us will face fear. Fear of what somebody's going to think or fear of what uh, somebody's perception is going to be or fear of, there's, there's something this week you're going to fear about. I want you to take time to identify whether it's a healthy or unhealthy fear. Obviously, if you're going to encounter a mama bear this week in the woods, it's not going to take too long to figure out, you just need to get out of there. But on the flip side, when you recognize an unhealthy fear, you can pray for the Lord to keep you walking in a spirit of power and of love and of self-control, trusting that God and the Holy Spirit will lead you through your fear. Maybe this week I got to get on a ladder. I don't know. I'm not looking forward to it if it's going to happen. But if it does happen, I'm going to try to do exactly this. I'm going to say, all right, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Because that's what it is. There's a second challenge, though, too. This one's a little more fun. This one's a little more fun. I call it the past and present fear test. Is it healthy or unhealthy? I would encourage you to write down the different situations where you felt fear. Good or bad, both. What kind of fear was it, healthy or unhealthy? And if it was unhealthy, did you stop to check yourself to see if you were walking in the power of God and of love and of self-discipline? You know, I can be blowing down the interstate at 89 mile an hour and I could have a healthy fear of cops. And rightfully so, I should. Why? I'm speeding. I'm breaking the law. And if the cop radars me at 89 mile an hour and he says, I want to see your license and keeps it, that kind of stinks for me. 
That's going to hinder me in my ability to do what I want to do. But because of my lack of self-discipline, I deserve it, don't I? I earned it. I, I literally earned that privilege and that right. So in your past, think through the times where you've seen healthy and unhealthy fear and catalog them on a piece of paper and then see how God has grown you since you've gotten saved and overcoming those fears. Because many times we're overcoming things and we never even notice until we look back and we see it. And you'll see, you'll see trends that are worth noting. Finally, though, we need to learn to diagnose fear. And that is part that it's an important step in dealing with it. Identifying fear is key to, to getting, getting help in dealing with it. Learning to deal with it will help us keep moving down the path that God has for our lives. So how many of you would like to pray with me and say, Lord, help my unbelief when it comes to certain areas of fear in my life? Might be evangelism, might be, you know, we all got them. Might be, you know what? Sometimes we're just afraid to sell out to God because he might actually give us what we want. Then what would we want? Hopefully more of him. Hopefully more service, more areas to do things better. So fear is not always bad. Many times in the Bible, fear is good. I love how many times when an angel appears to a person, what happens? First words out of the angel's mouth is what? Fear not. Don't be in awe of me. Don't be in awe of me. Why do they do that? There's only one to be in awe of. Who is he? And who sent those angels? I remember in Isaiah, he's like, don't worship me. I just came. I'm a servant. Worship God. You know what? Don't be afraid of the opportunities that God puts in front of you this week. Categorize. Is this an unhealthy fear or is this a healthy fear? If it's unhealthy, then deal with it. Deal with it and say, God, you've given me power. You've given me love and you've given me self-discipline. Help me to overcome this fear in my life. If it's something in reverence and awe of God, then surrender and worship. Worship God. Be in awe of what God has done for you. How many times do you drive to work in awe of, of what God's provided for you? That's one way to do it. How many times have you driven up to your house and just been in awe? Wow, I get to live here. Thank you, God. How many times do we come to church and say, wow, we get to worship in a free country? Wow, thank you, God. And we begin to become cognizant of all the things that God is doing for us. It fosters worship. It fosters praise. It fosters a proper view of what he is. He's our heavenly father who loved us enough to rescue us from our own undoing, our own demise. Who does that kind of stuff today? God does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that we can read it, heed it, and understand it. And Lord, that it is good for us to have a healthy view of who you are and what you've done for us. And Father, I pray that as we live this week, that we don't live in a state of fear of what the world is or what the world can do for us or, or against us or to us. But Father, we can live in a confidence and an awe of who you are, understanding that you are involved in every facet of our life. And Father, later on this afternoon uh, in our men's radical mentoring, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about how you impacted our lives before we were saved and even afterwards. And Father, I stand in awe of seeing how you directed in my life all throughout 
Even when I wasn't seeking you, you were still seeking me. And sanctification, Lord, how you provide and you, you guide and you take care of things in our lives that seem so big. And yet for you, Father, they're so small. We just got to trust you. We just got to walk in awe and cognizant that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So Father, help our unbelief. Help us when we get so focused on the world that we, we fail to see you high and lifted up. Father, forgive us for when we get so consumed with our own fear that we're paralyzed and we don't do anything for you. But Father, help us to see the power that we have, the love that you've given to us, and the discipline that is there available to us through the Spirit of God, that we cannot just be overcomers. We can be more than overcomers for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, help us not to live in a unhealthy fear, but to have a healthy fear of who you are. And then may we boldly go forth and share the truth that's within us with meekness and fear. Whether it be through evangelism, through friendship, through work, through discipleship, or just as we're going through life, we have the opportunity to share your love with others. May we do so readily. In your name we pray. All God's people said. Thank you.